Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. For today's episode, it is brought to you by RockAuto.com, that is. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Not the best start I've ever had, not the cleanest ever intro I've had, Frank, but I will say, we've just sat here as we're recording now and watched the heat go up 3-1 in the series over the Celtics. They look like they're heading to the NBA Finals. Tyler Hero was just ridiculous. Apparently, I heard on the broadcast, he's from Milwaukee, which is um, incredible. Never knew that. Uh, I only heard that 7,000 times over the course of the last two weeks. But the Miami Heat, uh, they haven't exactly slowed down since they handled the Bucks last week. Yeah, I'm very pleased with my Miami Heat right now. Uh, any team that plays the Celtics <laughs> becomes my team. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny because I think in in general, like, I don't know, I'm like the kind of person who uh, if my team loses to a team that I don't like have some, you know, pre-existing hatred for, like if the Bucks yeah. lose to the Celtics, I'm not going to root for the Celtics to make myself feel better about the Bucks. But um, normally I, there would be a little bit of that for me. Like, yeah, okay. You know, I, I feel a little bit better about my team if they end up losing to a team that, you know, wins a championship or whatever, right? I mean, last year, obviously, Bucks losing to the Raptors. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I was rooting for the Warriors in that thing because I was more bitter about the Raptors. So yeah. I didn't really get much positive feeling about that. Um, I don't know. On some level, I, I feel maybe a little bit better about the Bucks uh, watching the Heat continue to play at such a high level. Um, but that said, uh, I, I also – I hope that the Heat's success does not um, – this you know, is whitewash yes <laughs> yeah i i don't want like and i'm sure that you know people at the organization will you know use it as a talking point at some point um that if the heat you know and i'm just and they're obviously a ways i mean they have to still have to win a game to to win the series and go to the finals let alone win the finals but you know if if the heat were like win the finals or something right then I'm sure there'd, you know, be some time where it's like, well, you know, yeah, we we had a super disappointing end of the season and we thought we should have beat the Heat, but well, they won the championship. So, you know, but I don't I really don't want that to be used as a way to kind of whitewash the Bucks failure. <laughs> you know, like yeah. um so so I'm I'm a little bit worried of that. But I mean the Heat are a fun team. Um, you know, I, I don't really dislike uh any of their kind of main guys. Like I don't like Kelly Olinick, but um you know, I, I generally enjoy, you know, the concept of Jimmy Butler. He's a pretty fun, it's pretty fun to root for, you know, just given, you know, his kind of personality and, you know, obviously he's got the Wisconsin, the Milwaukee market connection too. So I feel a little bit, a little bit of that, a uh, little bit of that appreciation there. So, uh, so yeah, it's been fun seeing the Heat, you know, win, but uh, obviously, I mean, this series, even though it's three, one, I mean, it could, it's not that far from being like the reverse either. Right. And you know, all these games have, yeah 
generally been, um, it feels like they've had moments where they could swing kind of either direction. And obviously the Heat have just, for the most part, just been better team down the stretch of, of games. Um, and, and obviously here they are in the precipice of, of an NBA finals trip. And, you know, wild that, you know, you think of all of the, you know, I, I feel like Wisconsin, you, you kind of never, you know, as someone who I, I identify as Wisconsin, I never, never feel like our basketball, high school basketball is really like ever that high of level, you know, like having a Sam Decker guy who goes to, you know, Wisconsin and then gets drafted um, in the NBA feels like, oh, that's, that's about as good as you get. Um, <laughs> so for Tyler Harrow to go from, you know, a top prospect to, oh shit, he's going to Kentucky now to, whoa, he's really good at Kentucky to, whoa, he's going to declare for the draft and he's going to get drafted in the first round to he just scored 37 points in the Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> it's pretty wild, right? Um, you know, to, to, the, the kind of journey that he's been on, you think about the last couple of years, has been pretty crazy. But, um, I mean, he's been been terrific. And um, I'm, I'm curious. I'm really curious to see kind of what, what his ultimate upside is. Um, I was trying to think, like, who, who is, like, who is like his comp? And I don't really, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I wasn't really involved much in draft Twitter last year. Cause obviously the bucks weren't really involved in the draft period. Um, but I, I don't know, like, is he like a CJ McCollum type? Is that like, who, like, who's his comp? I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, you can, you can think about this and get back to us maybe later in this podcast, but um, I'm trying to think like what his kind of long-term ceiling is. And you know, he's not like a, point guard but he can definitely like create shots and sort of run some offense and stuff so I don't know maybe he's got some shades of CJ maybe a little bit like he's not super small but he's obviously not like a big guard I don't know um it's an interesting thing to kind of think about as far as what his kind of long-term future looks like because obviously he's still really young the interesting thing about Tyler Hero, and this is funny to think about right now, is that I do remember prior to the draft, I saw some comparisons that were uh, Nick Stauskas, which uh, let, let me just say Ooh. that uh, I think Tyler Hero has already done more. Well, he has. He just scored 37 in the damn playoff game. But uh, I think watching him play, it, it does lead us into, I guess, our first question. And we are still sporadically, I guess, running through mailbag questions that we've got. We've still got a bunch, but... The question today was around the front office and GM and drafting and watching Tyler Hero play in this game. He certainly, uh, I think, and I, I don't know what Miami saw in this guy. I mean, from all reports, they really, really liked his, his shooting, which I know he's always been an elite shooter. But uh, I think from the combine, there was a story I was listening to on a podcast. I can't remember where it was, but they just thought this guy was just completely nuts. Like this shooting drill that the Miami Heat uh, run. He had a better scores than anyone that's ever done that within the Heat organization. That's what I, I heard the story was. So clearly they liked him, but he goes 13. And when you think about drafting from that 10 to 20 to 25 range, you know, there's always a, there's always a hidden gem and there's always someone that ends up becoming a really good player, but it just goes to show the difference it can make to a good team already if you draft well in that range. And this leads us to our question today. So I'll dive straight in. It's basically a question from two people. So Nate Andrews, first of all, says, uh, why do you think more blame isn't put on the front office? I know the rationale for, uh, for the bud criticism, but we've drafted poorly the last five years, it feels like. Next to zero draft picks panning out has at least something to do with our shortfalls. And then second part of that question from Darren Hill. Dazza Hill, who lives in Australia, but he actually is from Wisconsin, says, talk to me about Horst. Given the stakes, do you, do you trust him? Would the franchise be better served with a seasoned, powerful GM to keep this title window open? 
to have O'Reilly, even though he's not technically the GM, but the president or Presti like vision and skills to retain Giannis and get better the next two or three years. All right, Frank, I'm going to jump in now and talk about today's show sponsor, rockauto.com. We know, we already know this. They're the family business that have been serving auto customers online for 20 plus years. Go to rockauto.com and shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. And the same for the professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com The one thing I will say is watching the heat in the bubble and seeing Pat Riley sit up there in his suit with his slick back hair and his gold chains and his, his rings. And you look at him and he seriously, he does, he's president, but he does look like the president GM that if he offers you a trade or offers you a deal, you feel like if you don't accept that deal or if you don't do whatever the hell he says, he's going to kidnap your family or something like that. Like he, he's the guy just actually also just looks scary. Uh, we know the track record that he's got in the NBA. And then you do look at John Horst and he's just like, he's just a, he's a nice guy. He looks like a nice guy. He's got a nice smile. He doesn't look like he's going to be uh, swindling anyone at the, tr- at the trade table. I will say that. Do you think there is anything in that though? Because John Horst, all jokes aside, to this point, and you can pick apart some, some certain things certainly, uh, but he came in and he had to, to fix some disastrous uh, moves that had been made and some contracts. And I think for the most part at the trade deadlines in particular, he's been able to uh, make some positive moves that don't fix everything, which is almost impossible to do. When you sign bad contracts, you kind of feel like you're, you're just trying to stop yourself from getting buried rather than completely dig yourself uh, out of the hole. But uh, Horst has done a, a reasonable job, executive of the year. It's hard to, it's hard to really fault him a great deal, but do you think there's anything in that with what Darren's suggesting there? Yeah, I mean, would I, you know, trust the Bucks as an organization more if you put, you know, more of a name brand proven GM in? I think I would say absolutely. I think, um, you know, Horse is still in the grand scheme of the universe, a, a pretty young GM, and, um, you know, it, it, you can kind of. I mean, it's kind of the case with with most GMs, right? Like you can kind of pick failures or successes if guys have been around long enough to kind of you can kind of frame things in kind of very favorable unfavorable lights um you know at a a very fundamental level you know certainly if you want to take the glass half empty view you know what is what are the bucks built around well it's it's Giannis and, and Chris Middleton two guys who not only you know predate John Horse tenure as GM but I mean predate current ownership period right right i mean literally they came in the year before um you know when when herb cole was still running the team right in in 2013 summer 2013 that fateful summer um so i think you know the the positive news is you know you look at okay well but why is this team you know (laughs) this team was floundering for many years before they reached the heights that they're at and so why is that and you know it's funny because i think you go back to one of horse biggest moves which probably up until you know six weeks ago we would have said was one of his absolute best moves hiring mike budenholzer right um now that's probably 
uh, rightly or wrongly viewed in more of a mixed fashion. Um, but there's, you know, no question that Bud's arrival obviously has completely, you know, as, as I, I, I wouldn't say coincided. I mean, there's been a direct correlation, obviously, with Bud coming in, changing what they do, how they play, and completely turning around the fortunes of the team on the court. And uh, obviously, some of that goes to also acquisitions that, that have been made. You know, I mean, Brooke, Brooke Lopez, obviously, the, the probably the biggest one, right? Um, you know, Eric Bledsoe was a guy that, interestingly, you know, depending on when you look at it, a year ago, you know, a year and a half ago, before last year's playoffs, probably, you'd look at that Eric Bledsoe trade and you'd say, wow, you know, that was a, that ended up being a great move by John Horse, right? Um, you got a, a, a fringe all-star caliber type of point guard for, you know, what's basically going to amount to a late first round pick a few years into the future in Greg Monroe's expiring contract. Um, now, obviously, we're sitting around saying, man, is that contract, how, you know, how easily movable is that contract for a player you want? Um, so I think, and there's kind of like a few, you know, you can probably look at a few different examples of that. Um, I think, you know, when you talk about the question that, um, that the, I think it was Nate's question, mm-hmm. uh, was it Nate's question or Darren's question about why the front, why, you know, Bud's been sort of the, the focal point of blame and not the front office. Um, I think the obvious answer is Bud being the coach, you know, the, the, the mistakes that any mistakes that the front office made were you know, basically a year and a, over a year ago, right? the summer of 2019. Um, and that's very much in the rear view. And since then, Bud went out and won a crap ton of games with that group. And so I think everybody kind of understandably felt like, oh, well, you know, yeah, you're going to miss Brogdon's playmaking. And you know, do we have enough shot creation in the playoffs? You know, I think that that question, I think everybody, you know, everybody who really likes the team and follows the team probably knew that that could still be an issue. But um, we also knew that this team could go out and have the best record in basketball in spite of that. And the defense was incredible. And, you know, there was obviously a, uh, uh, Bud made the front office's decision-making, you know, bringing back Brooke, bringing back George Hill, signing Wes Matthews, you know, George Hill and Wes Matthews, you can kind of look at as basically the replacements for Brogdon. You know, if Brogdon gets signed, do those guys come back? Probably not, I would say, or Wes probably doesn't get signed. Maybe, maybe he still does, but, but maybe not, you know, given that that Brogdon's departure is really what opened up a starting spot for him. Um, so, you know, you can say, well, the front office clearly in hindsight, you know, do you extend Bledsoe? Uh. <laughs> <You know. laughs> I, I, I supported it at the time, but obviously you look at what's happened. Um, you don't feel great about Bledsoe at that contract number. Again, I think this summer or this fall, we'll see if they can salvage that contract in some kind of trade. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the the issue for from like the Bud perspective is you went off and won all these games. So everyone said, OK, the team is good enough to, to win a championship. You should go out and do that. And there shouldn't be excuses. And then you made a bunch of decisions and, you know, you did things which tactically I think the average fan can look at and criticize and say, well, Jesus, man, you're, you're not willing to play Giannis and Chris. You think they can't play more than 35, 36 minutes. I mean, that's just the kind of stuff that like, just, you know, Bud just opens himself up to criticism because it's just so easily like, you know, mockable. Right. And then even the next game he plays Chris, you know, uh, 48 minutes in an overtime game to kind of prove himself wrong. Um, you know, some of just the, the tactical stuff, which maybe the casual fan doesn't pick up, like the way they played, you know, zone drop with Marvin Williams or with Giannis, which is just like, you know, 
why don't you play to those guys' strengths by switching or doing something that's that's more aggressive defensively? Um, you know, just just stuff like that. Um, you know, going over every screen on uh, you know, regardless of whether guys shoot or not. There's just there's just kind of stuff like that which really just I think made it very easy for fans to look at and say, "But dude, buddy, we're rooting for you, man." But WTF, you know? So I yeah. think that's the that's the real reason to me why you know we've seen all the the blame be focused on Bud just because his he was almost too successful for his own good during the regular season so it built up this expectation and then the inflexibility the you know basically being feeling like he was always a step behind Spo in the same way that you know it felt that way to some extent obviously a year ago with Nick Nurse as well um, you know I think there's some residual effect from that Raptor series too right it feels like oh well now it's it's coming home to roost like yeah of course bud would would fall into this trap because you know he's he's been he's had issues winning in the playoffs before even though obviously last year i'd say it wasn't nearly as egregious and you know the bucks steamrolled through the first two rounds so for first two rounds plus two games right they were 10 and one at one point in the playoffs so anyway that's my long-winded answer which will keep us from getting through these mailbag questions very quickly but i don't know what what's your take well, there was a couple of points that I thought were interesting in, in what you said there, uh, Frank. First of all, when you go back to the Bud hiring, and we've spoke about this, I think we both agreed that hiring Bud was certainly uh, a huge floor raiser. And straight away, I felt confident the second that they brought Bud in that oh, this team's going to be pretty good next year. Like you felt really comfortable about that hire. I think it all ties in to together though, because if you are John Horst, what hire do you want to make as coach? you probably want to go a pretty safe hire, don't you? Because you're trying to establish yourself, as you said, and I think sometimes it's it's forgotten that, well, listen, Horst is, I'm not, not that if you're an NBA GM, you should be given grace to learn on the job. That's not what I'm saying. But the point is that he probably is still learning. I mean, he is new. He's very young to be an NBA GM. So that hire made a lot of sense. And to be honest, I don't think it was a bad decision. That's for sure. And I think you could also say a similar thing we spoke about the Bulls yesterday, but the fact they hired Billy Donovan, I, th- I think also that makes a little bit of sense. If you're changing, making some changes in the front office, getting some stability there makes sense. So the Bud hiring uh, certainly is fine there. As far as what um, Darren was talking about in regards to would you have Pat Riley there, a guy that would make better decisions, more experience, the point you made about if you're there long enough, you're going to have bad decisions that you've made or decisions that people can pick apart. Let's just remember a couple of years ago, uh, the Heat gave Kelly Olenek a huge deal and also Hassan Whiteside a huge deal. And I've pointed to the Zach Lowe story before, but it's a fascinating read to how Miami found their way out of that. Dion Waiters, another one. So, you know, Miami a couple of years ago were a team that were a disaster. When you looked at the cap sheet, when you look at the deals that they had, it was like, I don't even know what Miami's going to do with this. Goran Dragic is getting paid a heap of money. He's coming off the bench as well. This timing of the Miami run in this postseason is quite remarkable. It's unbelievable the way that they've been able to come together. And clearly, it helps when you have an undrafted guy like Duncan Robinson come in and play a key role. Tyler Hero, again, as we spoke about, Bam Adebayo's ascent, uh, ascendancy has been incredible. And Butler's obviously plugged in, which, uh, you know, I mean, when you have him playing at his best and with the intensity he's at, it's going to mean good things. But I can't help but just look back to the draft and, again, uh, we've been through the draft a, a lot, Frank. But when you talk about the situation the Bucks are in, yes, you can give away bad contracts, but you always still feel like you're in a better position if you have assets, if you have tradable assets or young players that can uh, make the salary cap situation a little bit easier. And the two obvious ones, and again, 
this is crossing over from different GMs, and, and this is where it's difficult to look at where you should put all the blame uh, on John Horse. But you know, Thon, the Thon make a decision clearly when you look at Sabonis going to pick later. Uh, that's a very obvious one, and then the other one, um, obviously being. Uh, DJ Wilson and then within the next few picks you have uh, John Collins and OG Ananobi who uh, you know I mean John Collins maybe I mean he's probably going to get 100 plus million dollars coming up here soon and OG Ananobi has been a guy that has been a valuable rotation player for the Raptors so I think competent drafting is a thing that could set back a franchise more than anything and he can take you from being a team that should be contending to a team that just never quite get never quite gets over the hump and I think for mine when I look at the, the frustration I would have about different things, whether it is moves that the uh, that they made last offseason to save a few dollars, I still just look back at the drafting and say that more than anything has, has killed this team. Yeah, and I mean the like the Brogdon decision, right? I mean, how much of that is really, you know, you can say Horst couldn't sell his ownership on on spending money, right? right. But that's probably more of an ownership problem than right. than maybe a, a GM problem. Like, you know, when, when guys are let go for pretty clearly like money reasons. Um, and, I mean, and you know, Mark Glazer even said like, Oh, he was, he was a luxury. Right. Which was kind of like, yeah, like, okay. It's so not something you want to say publicly. <laughs> we're, we're just saying we're, we're cheap basically. Right. Um, even though we're going for uh, trying to win an NBA title. Um, yeah. And I think the drafting is really interesting because, and here, here's a here's a hypothesis for you. You can react to this. Tell me if you buy into this or not. But I view like teams that draft really well. I I think that is an indicator of teams that um, probably are like have really good organizations, because you know, look at the end of the day, of course, like a GM has an outsized say, and you could say the final say in in who gets drafted. Yeah. Um, but you can't have a a good draft board unless you have a really good scouting. Uh, organization if you don't have a really good infrastructure kind of around you um, and you know when you look at the Bucks, it's really kind of a weird black box right like has anybody ever like, like I, it's kind of weird I mean we're I mean again we we talk to people around the organization like obviously you were in the locker room for much of the last couple seasons before you know gestures at the world right um, <laughs> and it's it's kind of funny because it's like I don't really have any sense of like, like you don't like, but, but you know, it, 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 you don't get the sense that like there's this big, robust, you know, Spursy infrastructure that the Bucks have built around John Horst. And to be honest, it makes sense when you look at the circumstances around which he was hired. Right? I mean, that organization before Horst becomes GM, um, you know, look at all the like senior people that were in the mix there. Right? Um, obviously. Justin Zanuck, principally, you know, the, the kind of heir apparent to John Hammond. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to kind of then lose both those guys. I mean, you know, I've jokingly referred to it as like a King Ralph type situation, right? Where like all the, all the, all the senior people uh, just sort of disappear and are gone. Um, and then you're left with a guy who is, you know, really not expected to have been in that situation. And, you know, when you think about building an organization, I mean, you can be the smartest basketball mind around, but like, if you don't have a Rolodex and connections around the league and you're not, you don't have a savvy eye for building an organization. Right. And I think this is where 
you really have to be clear, like as fans, we often see the general manager as just like a guy who's picking players in free agency or making trades or, you know, drafting. Right. But there's so much more to, 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 to everything that goes into being in that spot. Right. Be having the chance to, you know, sign Duncan Robinson or draft Tyler Harrow or draft Bam out of bio. Right. Um, you know, sure. The, the heat, you know, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. Like, Pat Riley looked like he'd kind of lost the plot there with some of those signings where they were just trying to hang on to being a, you know, like a, an eight seed type team. But at the end of the day, Pat Riley is also how many championships has he won? You know, he's won yeah. three in Miami and however many he won in LA. I mean, you know, nobody needs to, I mean, you can argue like as has the game passed Pat Riley by, I think there was that obvious question um, until really the past year or two when, uh, you know, that constant stream of, of, you know, diamonds in the rough and Jimmy Butler and, and Spo and what he does kind of really began to pay off. And obviously the, the, the Riley Spo dynamic and the stability those two guys, guys bring, that's what, you know, every franchise aims for. Right. And we talk here a lot, but the Bucks talk a lot about, um, you know, the Spurs as a, as a, as a, um, as a touchstone for what they want to be. Obviously the bud connection there kind of makes that an obvious thing with, with pop. Um, but you know, I'm at this point, you know, I'm, I'm, I would say I'm still kind of unconvinced and it's kind of weird. Cause it's like, I actually, you know, when you talk about like trades, like I, I definitely like actually trust John Horace more to make a good trade than like John Hammond. Um, because John Hammond made so many like meh trades and his best trades seem to be ones where he was like erasing his own mistakes. Um, whereas, you know, you look at a lot of the trades that Horace has made, whether it's, you know, the George Hill trade, um, or, you know, again, Bledsoe trade, maybe, maybe less so that was one of his, his early moves, but, um, you know, just like the, the small trades they made to gather up second round picks to then be able to switch flip those for Nikola Miritich, right. Which obviously that, that trade or the, 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 that, that acquisition ultimately failed. But I think the, the, the little moves that went into it, right. Basically renting some, uh, cap space, to get Washington under the tax when they gave up Jody Meeks to give a second round pick, right? <laughs> they traded Roy Hibbert for a, 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 a top 55 protected pick that actually conveyed. And they used that in the Nikola Miritich trade, right? Um, so there's a bunch of kind of like little peripheral moves that I would say, yeah, there's actually like, and again, like whether, I don't know who else, like I've never heard anything about Milton Newton, who's the Bucks assistant GM, you know, used to be the, the Timberwolves GM. You know, I've never heard anybody say a word negative or anything about Mill Newton. I know nothing really about Mill Newton other than he does, I think, very good things for the Virgin Islands. I know he's, he generates his time uh, and, and money for, for things supporting the Virgin Islands. But other than that, I don't really know what, what Mill Newton does. I've never really heard people talk about him. Um, I have no idea if he would ever get another job elsewhere. Um, and, and it's just kind of this weird, this like weird sort of black box. And so, um, you know, I think that it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, John Horst actually had some some good sense about trades, um, and and obviously with free agency. I mean, you know, the Brook Lopez deal obviously is kind of stands out. That was obviously a complete diamond in the rough type type move. Um, but you know, do I believe the Bucks as an organization are, you know, now ascending to the level of the Spurs or um, you know the Heat? I'm I'm just not convinced, right? I, I think we have reason to be kind of nervous and again so much of everything hinges on Giannis and and whether or not they can not just convince him to stay but then 
you know, build around, continue to build around him. And, and, you know, you pointed to it, like all these squandered picks, um, you know, those are obviously the kind of thing that, um, that, you know, may really hurt the bucks two, three years down the road, right. Where uh, they're going to really have a potentially bare cupboard and all these veterans getting, getting older around Giannis. That's why the drafting, I mean, again, you can look at what Miami's been able to do. You look at the guys they acquired at the buyout market or at the trade deadline, but at the end of the day, if they don't get these, uh, the efforts, basically the effort they've had from Tyler Hero this year in, in the postseason, they're probably losing a bunch of games that they've been able to win because a lot of the times, even in the Buck series, a lot of these games have been close and he's just been absolutely phenomenal. I do also wonder, and, and this is why, and I think it's a great point you make because you know, naturally, everyone, whether it's fans, whether it's media, whoever it is, they want to put the blame on someone. And, and you, you said it quite rightly. It's very easy to look at Bud and what's happening on the court and, and say, well, it's his fault. Get rid of him. And, and like, I understand that on the surface, but I think on that, that other pod that we did where we spoke through the reasons why, um, yeah, potentially that wouldn't make sense to move on um, from Bud. And it's more than just literally what you're seeing on the court. There's a bigger picture there. And I do wonder, and it's something I've thought about when it comes to the Bucks. And yes, they hired John Horst, a younger GM. The ownership situation, we know it's, it's very weird. How they keep rotating around. I'm not sure whether that's something that, um, you know, these uh, functioning franchises that have been so, so strong and so dominant for so long would ever do. Probably not. But but I think coming from San Antonio and understanding how that uh, franchise uh, franchise operated and then going to Atlanta, obviously, and with a lot of the similar guys coming in um, to Milwaukee, one of the things you hear when you talk to people within the Bucks about Bud is how professional things have become since he came in within the coaching ranks, within the G League organization and the integration they've had there. And again, it's important to note that uh, the G League has been actually a, a league over the last few years that has fostered there's lots of diamonds in the rough in the G League. And the more professional it becomes, the more you'll be able to potentially pluck players from there, including a guy like Duncan Robinson. And so I think that the benefits that Bud has brought to the Bucks far exceed um, what we've seen on the court, uh, no matter how big the frustrations are from the postseason and things that we would like to change. And the reality is they're going to have to change uh, for the Bucks to win a title. I think that from a bigger perspective, from an organizational point of view, you can understand um, why uh, there would be major, major hesitation to move on from Bud. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the interesting thing is, I think if they did move on from Bud, like say, let's say a year from now, I, I would hope that some of the, you know, again, that sort of infrastructure and culture would, would carry over. Yeah. Um, but as I said before, I mean, I think one of the main reasons Bud is still around is just because I think he is from a basketball organization standpoint, I think he is the single most important mm-hmm. guy that is responsible for kind of where, you know, how far they've gotten here. And again, it's hard to say, you know, how much Bud's been involved in some of the player picking that's happened. Right. Um, you know, we've heard random stuff about how we liked Dante DiVincenzo, you know, the, how much did he have to say about getting Brooke Lopez versus John Horst versus, whoever else, I don't know. Right. I, I, that would just be speculation, but um, he obviously is a GM that, you know, works very closely with John horse. And as you pointed out, it makes sense that that horse would pick that kind of veteran coach. Ironically, a coach that um, had a very spotty history when he was forced to be a, a personnel <laughs> guy, in addition to being a coach 
in Atlanta, but obviously I think the partnership has, has worked, you know, pretty well, obviously in, in Milwaukee. And again, there have been mistakes and missteps, especially in the draft. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's, I mean, since Bud has been here, I mean, they've only had what really one, one pick, I guess. Right. Well, I'm trying to think of Dante. What did they have? They didn't have any other picks last year. Right. And did they, did they have a second round pick the year before? I can't even remember, but, um, but you know, so so I guess uh, who, who knows? Um, we, we will see. And obviously, there's just so much more at stake this summer. Last year was really just about you know kind of keeping the band together. And now I think um, you know the the issue is yeah, you may need a new drummer, a new bassist, and <laughs> we'll see how how that works out. I think the and I I listen, Frank. I, I mean, I hope we've somewhat answered the questions from from Nate and <laughs> and Darren. There, I I mean, I, I think so. We've we've spoke through a lot of I think personally really interesting thoughts and just, and just sort of bounce some ideas off each other and and hopefully it all ties together. I, I think the big thing is though when you're talking about the coach, the GM, the ownership, as you've pointed to, it's very difficult to just put your finger on one thing and say, well, well, that's that person's fault because the reality is all those things tie in together and it's hard to know who's pulling on, on what string more than the other and, and who is actually the person that maybe was uh, against the idea as a fan that you might like. Again, the Brogdon example is the very easy one and as you pointed to, sometimes money is more ownership than the GM who's just like, hey, I just want the best damn basketball team on the floor, so let me have that. Um, so it's just, it's kind of, when you're talking about blame, it, it's, it's kind of simplistic to, to say it's one person rather than the other, but it, it's kind of difficult uh, to say. And, and the other thing, I'll, the final point I'll make here, I guess, Frank, is just that the Bucks, from where they were two or three years ago when Jason Kidd was here to where they are now, the ascendancy of and probably the urgency of the franchise to go from just like what what is going on with this team like where are they right now they're just middling again yes they've got a the guy that potentially is an mvp caliber player but i've got no idea what's going on to all of a sudden shit you better figure this out right now because if you don't you're going to lose the mvp you're going to lose the franchise uh, player right there and you're still trying to work through past mistakes and figure all the things out i mean it's it's tough and they've had to do it on a pretty tight timeline yeah i mean it's also funny i mean if you had told me three years ago that the Bucks, you know, would would have blown by Philly and even yeah. be, you know, feel like they're ahead of Boston in terms of, you know, just where they are as a franchise, I mean, that that would have kind of shocked me, right? Just because as as good as I thought Giannis was, um, you know, I mean, we saw like he he needed more help and the the asset base was not really there, especially compared to. Um, you know, Boston and Philly, they just had so many more kind of long-term assets that you thought they could, you know, take some swings with. And, um, you know, Boston's been interesting because they, they, I mean, they've obviously, you know, they, they end up um, making the move, getting Kyrie, then, then end up losing Kyrie, but then end up replacing him pretty much like for like. And Al Horford, obviously, you know, you look back and you say, well, probably for the best that they didn't end up sinking a bunch of money into Al Horford. Um and so again, I, you know, do they have, you know, is Tatum going to be now like the true kind of superstar that can lead a championship? I think that's, you know, sort of to be determined, but Jalen Brown has obviously continued to develop at a really high rate. And, you know, Gordon Hayward is at least close to, you know, something like a, you know, it's a, a very nice, like fourth banana at least. So, um, you know, Boston's in a pretty good spot, but, you know, they're also not like kind of, 
I don't know that they're going to be like a juggernaut, right? Um, and Philly, obviously, just – I mean, it's it's just pretty remarkable just the way Philly, um, you know, they, they sort of were sitting on that treasure trove of, of picks and then young talent. And um, it just obviously – I mean, you, I mean, the Fultz trade, right? I mean, probably that that's maybe the epicenter of, you know, what kind of set Philly down the wrong path, but just giving up, um, you know, what they did. Boston ending up with Tatum and and Philly ending up with a guy that they basically that they gave away for you know whatever it was a you know uh, protected first round pick or whatever they got from Orlando in that trade I mean it's just it's just pretty remarkable just the degree to which um, you know things kind of have not gone the way people expected with Philly and and I mean but even last year right I mean if they had run it back with Jimmy Butler you know are they the team that you know, that, that Miami's getting right now, right. That's possible. Um, you never know. Brett Brown wouldn't have magically become Eric Spolster, unfortunately for Philly, but, uh, but it's, uh, it, it is pretty remarkable. I mean, it just shows you how quickly things can change in the NBA. And, and, you know, I think the glass half full is that the Bucks have seen that and, you know, they're on now and I think still a much better place certainly than we would have expected a couple of years ago relative to those other teams in the East. Flip side, when are you going to be on the other end of that, right? And could th- could a few things swing against you in a way that, um, you know, really send you down uh, a, a darker timeline, let's say? Uh, because, again, I think as Bucks fans, you know, you want to just assume that you'll have Giannis forever, and as long as Giannis is around, you're going to win 55, 60-plus games and compete for championships every year. But that there, there's no guarantee of that, right? I mean, lots of great franchises have had great players that have um, had drop-offs and, you know, if you don't continue to build in a really smart way and have that infrastructure, have that, you know, the great coach, whatever it might be, uh, you know, things might head South and then you, you don't know where you end up. All right. That's going to do it for today's pod. Like I said, just a little bit earlier, I hope uh, Daza and uh, Nate, we did answer your question a little bit. If you have any more questions, about the front office, about anything we've discussed, feel free to send them through at Locked On Bucks or Locked On Bucks at gmail.com. And we can circle back to those for sure. It's uh, definitely a talking point and definitely a, a complicated situation, as with a lot of things that the Bucks find themselves in uh, this year, and clearly a pretty, pretty important offseason for the franchise. But for now, we are going to leave it there. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to be talking Chris Milton tomorrow. Uh, we've got a bunch of questions about Chris Milton, about trades. Would you trade Chris Milton? That's going to be the conversation tomorrow. A bunch of different uh, high-caliber trade possibilities are going to be discussed there. So uh, we hope you will join us for that one. But for now, for Frank and myself, stay safe out there, and we'll speak to you guys tomorrow.